Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast. Before I begin, I'm sorry to start off a bit negative, but I took a lot of flack last week from people that I don't think understood where I was coming from, so I just wanted to address two things as quickly as I can. First, I appreciate everybody's comments and feedback, regardless if they're negative or positive. Um, you know, I feel like everybody in the retro gaming community should have a voice in these discussions, and it doesn't really matter, you know, as long as you're contributing in some way. The only thing, uh, two things to remember is if your comments are rude, you're probably going to get rude responses, just like in life. And the only comments at all that I won't tolerate is anything hateful. So we had somebody a couple weeks ago posting stuff like that, and I banned him and deleted him immediately. And last week, I thought somebody was going down the same road, but I misunderstood, and that wasn't it at all. Sorry, dude, for that one. But my point is, don't ever hesitate to post your opinion, whether it's positive or negative. Um, And as long as it's not hateful, it'll never get deleted. The only thing, though, you know, obviously, generally speaking in life, if your posts are filled with profanity and anger, regardless if they're positive or negative, they're not going to be taken as seriously as, you know, well-written ones or, or things that are more thought out, I guess. But do whatever you'd like, either way. Next, as you'd expect, I need to address the badass elephant in the room. Um, many people were upset that I wasn't harder on Michael, and kind of accused me of just blindly taking his side. But I want to remind everybody that this podcast and my website should be considered neutral ground. Like Switzerland, but fatter. But (laughs) I just, I want these roundups to be a way to connect developers and the news around their products directly to the retro gaming community. If I was anything other than polite to any of the guests, it would just be unproductive, and more importantly, it might leave other people who haven't been on yet feeling like, you know, oh, well, I don't want to go on that podcast, what if I just get cornered? And I don't ever, ever want to feel, anybody to feel like that on here. And in fact, the only people I bash publicly ever are, you know, are people that I truly believe have wronged us intentionally. You know, I think I, there was a journalist, some eBay sellers, some stuff. Basically, there's pretty much no gray area. You know, if I, if I feel the need to say something bad, somebody did something really shitty. Um, You know, and that's not what I believe at all is coming from Michael. I still think his intentions are good. And I still think that, you know, my opinion is the delays might actually result in a better product overall. Will remain to be seen. Uh, That will remain to be seen. But of course, the most important thing for me is he's still offering his money back to anybody that wants it. So you could disagree with absolutely everything that he's done. You could show proof that he could have done it better. But the bottom line is if you paid and you want your money back, you know, how how bad is it really then? You know, it's not like he stole your money and ran away with it. Um, the one thing I'll admit, though, is I was a bit annoyed when he made a negative comment about some other solution prototype, which is kind of, it's kind of strange for him to do that when he himself doesn't have anything to show, including a, a prototype for it. But, 
You know, that's kind of just his personality. He likes to poke and prod at the people around him, and at least in my interaction with him, he doesn't mind when people poke back. So it's not like he's, you know, sitting on top of a mountain saying he's the greatest, screw everybody else. If you go back and tease him, you know, it's all open playing ground for him. So, you know, it, it would be easier for everybody if we were all just nice to each other, but that's not how life works. And, you know, whatever, I'm cool with all of that. But, either way, I'm not bashing him, any other prototype, or, or anything at all in this community unless there's negative intentions involved. So... Here's a quick recap of the GameCube Video X status. So this is like the too long don't read from last week. Anyone that wants their money back can do so anytime for any reason, period. He claims that he's less than a week from having his website up so people can confirm their order and decide which version of the product they'd like. He says he's under two weeks away from shipping do-it-yourself kits and starting the process of accepting uh, consoles for um, his own installation of it. And lastly, he claims the external version's about two months away. Now, I personally think that two months is a bit ambitious for the external version, but I'm just relaying the information, so don't shoot the messenger. Also, as far as I'm concerned, as long as he hits the target dates for the do-it-yourself and internal installations, as well as keeps everybody updated with regular Twitter, um, yeah, Twitter or even Twitch updates of his external version, then he's welcome back on the podcast at any time. Um, you know, you guys can get as mad as you want, but as long as he... I guess the only complaints that I really have is, should he have handled late February till now the way the way he did? Maybe he should have, maybe he shouldn't. It's really, you know, it's up to him and you guys to decide. Uh, but everything up until then certainly wasn't his fault. I don't think anybody really denies that. But also, you know, how he handles it from now on is really at least in my personal opinion, how he should be judged, right? Does he keep the timelines for the things that he's absolutely able to do? Um, and if things happen out of his control, is he keep on uh, the external version? Is he going to keep us updated? Is he going to tweet about it all the time? Quick status updates. So I personally am judging him from here on out, and certainly not for the past few months of let's put a hold on the project and see. But obviously it's up to you guys to do whatever it is you prefer with all that. So, you know, it's all mostly opinions. As long as everybody either gets what they paid for or gets their money back, I'm cool with it. You know, but if it becomes a problem, you know, obviously I would handle it differently in the future. But as of now, I, I just I don't have any problem with the guy and I'm not going to be mean to him. At least publicly. We tease each other all the time, you know, behind the scenes, but screw it. So uh, I, I just uh, hope that's a quick recap for everybody, and I hope that's, you know, puts everything into perspective. And you don't have to agree with anything I said. Feel free to post. Um, I just kind of wanted to give everybody my thoughts on that and make sure we were all on the same page of, you know, where we stood with everything. Next, My Life in Gaming did a full episode on different SCART switches, and they really went in depth to show the differences between each and the video quality output differences of them. So I thought they did an absolutely awesome job as usual, and anybody that was interested at all in SCART switches should definitely take a look at it. Next, someone posted an installation video of Marcus's new CPS2 digital video board. So basically, this is the board that can be installed in a CPS2 kit that will allow full digital-to-digital -digital conversion of the signal, as well as audio. So it's really cool to see it in action, and I hope to see it on some of the arcade setups that, uh, that I've been seeing lately for some of the tournaments, because while CRTs are, in my opinion, always the best option for things like that, there do exist, uh, exist LCD monitors that have little to no lag, so this would be a perfect solution for them.
Next, there's some Nintendo news to report. First, the NES Classic has been officially discontinued. So, that probably doesn't matter to any of us, because anybody listening to this is going to recognize that it's just an emulator with a bunch of lag. But it did. It probably is going to annoy everybody else that wants it either as a collector's item or that just wants a quick shot of nostalgia. Because I will admit that's probably the best use for it. You know, you, you buy it, it for 60 bucks, you get all those games, you play them for an hour, and then you never use it again. Yeah, it's, it's a cheap, fun way to experience it. It's got the same feel of a controller. Uh, but my guess is they discontinued it because they're going to try to sell you the virtual console versions of the games within a few months. But I guess that'll remain to be seen. Next, it looks like Nintendo sold more copies of Breath of the Wild for the Switch than they actually sold Switch consoles, which I thought was kind of funny because it just shows how many people are trying to get a Switch and can't get their hands on it. But I guess they sold 925,000 copies of Breath of the Wild for the Switch, but only 906,000 Switch consoles. So that means about 20,000 people are sitting around the world waiting for their console and have the game um, one thing they said is a bunch of people might have gotten, like, the Master Sword Edition, the Limited Edition, and then also bought, um, you know, the just the game so they could have something opened. But I don't know that 20,000 people would do that, so it's just kind of funny and shows the how many people are just waiting to get their hands on a console. And lastly, for the Nintendo stuff, they have actually released the projected game release dates for 2017. And, you know, being a retro gamer, the one that I'm obviously most excited about is Sonic Mania, which is still scheduled for summer 2017, and that looks great. That looks just like the next iteration of a side-scrolling Sonic game. But there's a bunch of cool ones on there either, uh, both both for retro gamers and for everybody, but the ones that jumped out on me was uh, Ultra Street Fighter 2, The Final Challengers, and that's the end of May. Mario Kart 8, of course, that's coming out at the end of this month, and... Uh, uh, Cave Story is also being released on it, which is strange because I didn't expect that game to be released on another platform. But I'm really glad it is because it's just an awesome game, and the more people that could, uh, the more people that experience it, the better. Because to me, that fits right in with all the old classic side-scrolling games. And uh, I wonder if the people behind the Genesis translation of it are going to catch any flack because now they're also trying to sell it on the Switch. I personally think it would do nothing but. Um, but be free promotion for it. I guess we'll see. It looks like Darksoft has posted a few updates to his Neo Geo ROM cart project. Uh, first, he has a video showing the latest menu update, and also he's confirmed that it's going to support game saves, so you'll no longer need that, uh, that external game cart thing for anybody that wants to save their game or their high scores. And because it saves to SD, I'm assuming that these could also be backed up to your computer, which is all a pretty cool feature. So, um, you know, it's moving forward steadily, but slowly, so hopefully we will see this sooner. But uh, I'm really excited for it, and all the features look great, and it just seems like something that's definitely going to be worth the wait. Next, Saint has posted progress on his Neo Geo Pocket ROM cart. Um, first, he's posted a picture of the 3D printed case that it'll ship with, but he said he'll also give the design files to people who want to make their own nicer one, um, and this won't fit a standard game case, which in my opinion is great, so people won't try to cannibalize cheaper Neo Geo Pocket games for it. But I think that's awesome, so uh, it'll come with a 3D printed case and a sticker, but if you want to make your own or make a fancy one or a different color, you could have the 3D design files for it and do what you'd like with them. 
Next, Firebrand X has updated all of his Framemeister profiles, which in my opinion is kind of an essential tool if you own a Framemeister, and they're all free, of course, so basically you just put all of his patches onto an SD card, I think it allows 20 at a time, and you can get custom profiles for each console. This time he added TurboGrafx-16 and did a few other tweaks to, uh, I think, certain other ones. Um, and he had two things to report on, but I guess common questions that he'd been asked. One was several compa complaints have come in about profiles loading to a blank screen and seemingly not working. In every case, this was due to people using an input mode other than RGB. Since he saves the default video mode input variable as RGB, the profile will show a blank screen if the user does anything else. But if this happens, all you have to do is wait about 15 seconds after loading the profile, then press the input button you want to use on the FrameMeister's remote. It'll switch over, and after about 10 seconds, your picture should come up fine with his profile applied to it. Um, if you want to avoid this hassle in the future, simply resave the profile after switching to the proper input, and it will change the default input source to your preferred one. Also, for 4K TV users, some people have been discovering strange frame rate issues while attempting to use the FrameMeister. It seems most of these issues can be solved by changing the sync mode to off instead of auto. However, keep in mind that the frame rate will now behave like most emulators, where it will look smooth most of the time, but occasionally the frame rate will jump or stall in order to resync with the console. So that's that, I think that screen tearing, kind of jumpy screen issue. Um, I still haven't done much testing on 4K TVs at all with the FrameMeister or anything, but uh, I'll certainly report back when I eventually get one and hook my OSSC up to it, and I'll, uh, I'm sure I'll borrow a FrameMeister and, and test those as well. But thanks a lot to him for the update and to continue to put a ton of work into these things and then just donate them for free to the community. Next, my buddy Phil sent me a link to Paradox Arcades, which I'd never heard of them before, but they make some really cool looking products. The thing that stood out most for me is the LCD Marquee. So it's a custom made LCD screen that sits up uh, where the marquee would normally go, and it changes with each game, so that if you're standing next to it and like you load Mortal Kombat, it'll load the Mortal Kombat marquee picture for it. They also, it looks like they have buttons that change with each game. So if it's a six button game, all six buttons light up. Or if it's just a two button game, the only three, two or three buttons that are used will light up. Uh, and it's really awesome, and I would love to see one in person. But I'll warn anybody, before you even go to the website, these things are ridiculously expensive. They are things for people, like uh, if I owned uh, you know, a high-end arcade, you know, not like a barcade or anything. Um, I would buy one of these and charge like a dollar a play just to try to eventually recoup the money. But it's really for either super serious enthusiasts or people that, you know, that want to put it in a place where it could actually pay for itself within eight or nine years. It's, uh, you know, they're, they're expensive, but you do get what you pay for. But maybe someday I'll be able to interview those guys and even head over and take a look at one in person. The only complaint I have at the moment is they're only offering them with um, LCD screens that have very low lag, but I would like an option for CRTs, even if you have to bring your own or something. But um, for the price that these things go for, I can't imagine that they would say no if you wanted to do something like that. But hopefully I'll, I'll have a follow-up on this soon and be able to actually do a review on one. 
Lastly, for anybody interested, we had a great Retro Roundtable podcast last week. This one went pretty long, but nobody seemed to mind, and we didn't seem to lose any live viewers as we were going. So thanks so much to anybody who watched and participated. And if you wasn't in your time zone or if uh, you didn't get a chance to see it live, it is still up on YouTube. And there was one moment where uh, we were in the middle of a serious sink stripper discussion, and Voltar posted something stupid in the chat, and I absolutely lost my shit laughing. I had to cover up the camera and mute myself. So uh, if anybody wants to point and laugh at me, uh, there it is. <laughs> okay, on to the Q&A stuff. First, Neozeed1964 said that he recently got a scope and noticed that his Xtron crosspoint switch outputs TTL sync no matter what the voltage level of the sync that's put into it. He said he added a 470 ohm resistor in series on its output, and it gives him a 500 millivolt peak-to-peak -peak signal, um, on, which uh, falls into the spec. So he wanted to know if this was okay, which it is, because it does fall into the spec. And um, I, I found it really interesting, because I thought most cross points actually had a 75 ohm switch on the back. And I guess not. So if any of you guys are using an Extron Crosspoint, um, I'm glad Neozeed brought this up. Definitely check it out and see. Uh, and if you do have the switch, you'll want it set to 75 ohm. And if not, um, maybe uh, see if you could do what he did and just add a 470 ohm resistor in order to bring it down to proper levels. But I don't have a lot of experience with those because there's tons of them and tons of different models. But uh, I'm glad we're keeping all this stuff um, or, or we're paying attention. And hopefully I'll soon have a, a better way to compile all the information for these things. Next, a few people had actually asked what I thought about the Steel Stick 64 project. Um, and I guess that's the replacement analog stick for N64 controllers, kind of like the one I mentioned last week, but, uh, you know, different team going about it a different way. And I've actually never been able to see one, um, and I don't really have much more information. But as soon as they're available, I'll definitely try to get one. And, uh, you know, it's no secret the N64 isn't my favorite console, so I'm not sure if I would be the best person to test something like that. So I would just bring it down to one of the tournaments involving N64 and uh, see if any of the guys there would be willing to test those two alternatives versus a mint condition original and really get their feedback because that, in my opinion, is more uh, much more important because any of, anybody that does any of the uh, competitive gaming... While I would notice anything wrong with the SNES controller, because it's my favorite and it's, you know, it's the one I use all the time, they would be the ones to know for an N64. So uh, hopefully I'll get a chance to test one of those soon. Next, Schwink said, Some people have already gotten Unholy Night and reviews for it are bad. Poor frame rate, bare bones control and stages, and the only thing done right was the packaging and cart design. So I guess the one that I got to try must have been the final revision of it, and that's kind of disappointing because I was getting excited about a new SNES game that's never been available before. So, um, you know, I, I would encourage anybody to try it if you have the ability to, but I guess this is just going to be one of those fun collector's items that not many people end up actually playing. And lastly, Sammy SNES wanted me to clear up some of the confusion behind Sync on Green for the PS2. And basically, um, I guess the confusion is that because I recommend Syncon Luma cables for 240p and 480i RGB SCART, that people thought that those were required for Syncon Green, but they're two completely different things. For Syncon Green, your cable really doesn't matter. It's the target device and what the target device accepts, because Syncon Green is only three cables, red, green, which includes the sync, and blue. 
whereas any kind of RGB SCART cable is red, green, blue, and sync. So um, I tried really hard to keep rewriting that section of the website so people would have a clearer understanding of what that is. I think, I'm sorry, I know this is probably going to sound like a shitty thing to say, but I think the biggest problem is most people just skim the section, don't read it at all, and then just see my recommendation for the Sync on Luma cables and think that somehow has to do with it. So, um, you know, I'm trying really hard to make all of this stuff easier to understand for everybody, but I most people, you do have to spend the time to actually read through and get the info, but... As always, anybody that has any suggestions on how I can make this more clear, please let me know and I will edit it. Well, that's it for this week. Sorry there was no interview, I just didn't have time to schedule one with a bunch of different projects I've been working on. Hopefully I'll be able to talk about a lot of those soon enough, but um, for now, as always, any comments or criticism are always welcome down below. I always like hearing from everybody, and I will see you guys next week.